Hello and welcome to the Virtualization Security Podcast, episode 148, where we will be talking today about privacy and integrity and confidentiality in the cloud, given some new announcements. Our panelist today is Eben Rodriguez, a Principal Cloud Solutions Architect at Spirit Communications. Michael Berman, hopefully you'll join us later, the subject matter expert in security virtualization. Mike Foley from VMware Technical Marketing Team, where his focus is on security of the vSphere platform, and myself, Edward Heletke, a.k.a. TechSciWill, just about anywhere you want to find me on social media and the VMware Communities Forum and several other forums, as a matter of fact, and author of several books on virtualization and cloud security, so go ahead and look on Amazon for those. And we don't have a special guest. I actually tried to get him, and I was just telling Mike before the show is that the big players in email documents and so forth are Google, Microsoft, and now Amazon. And none of them want to get on the podcast for whatever reason. If you guys want to, let me know. Whoever's listening to this, I'd be glad to host you. And we can talk about some other topics if you want. But this is an interesting one. Is that Yesterday or over the last week, Amazon announced WorkMail that's tied into the Amazon directory services and tied into the key management that Amazon has. So it's a very interesting concept that their mail will be encrypted. But then you have Office 365 inside of Azure and you have Google Docs and Google Mail. So the real question I have is, is about all this is about privacy and about integrity and about confidentiality. Availability they they cover. The rest of it I'm not so sure. Can we uh can we take a, a short uh intermission to go over the history of email? That <laughs> we're talking about um email hosted in the cloud, right? That's kind of what we want to talk about today. It sounds like um we're mentioning Office 365. You mentioned Google, which I think we all know about Gmail when they came out. You know, we don't really talk about Yahoo anymore, although they were one of the first free email providers out there that, that was on a large scale, but we don't even mention them much anymore. And, Actually, um, now, a lot of people still have Yahoo email accounts. I have yeah. one. My, I mean, family yeah. members. Let us, so. and, and let us not forget AOL. Is that still, a, is that still an email? Oh, Can yeah. You read email? Oh, yeah. yeah. So oh, absolutely. Let's, let's focus and, the and a whole bunch of others, yeah. Let's focus the conversation to um, enterprise a little bit because I think what we're we're all you know in the workforce and we're not talking about necessarily the the mom and pops that don't really have security constraints, right? This is a security podcast, so I think we can focus the discussion around um, people that use Outlook a lot, or maybe if they have a Mac, they're using the Mail client in the Mac. Is that okay? Uh, this for, is focused. We, this definitely is focused on the enterprise because if you start talking yeah. about I mean, I don't really, for the hundreds of millions of people using email from Google, from Office 365, from Yahoo, from Hotmail, which is Microsoft, that security and that privacy is a totally different concept. What I really, and we should probably dovetail on that at the very end, but I really want to cover what we're going to do. Workmail from everything I've read and seen is really a, a enterprise class mail service. Look at the title. They they oh, named it a money is. right? It's it's called work mail. It's not for your home users or your families, right? It's for work. It's for a business. Exactly. And you were saying, Mike? I said, um, you know, selling to enterprises means it it's there to make money. Yeah. Yeah, it's not but one of these free it's not your J standard Gmail account, and you know that's okay. But you know the Google turns around and they sell Google Apps uh, for money, uh, those services, and Microsoft sells Office 365 for more money. Um, you know that's what they're in the business to do. 
Exactly, and I don't think I mean I, I don't have no complaints about the quantity of money and the, and the price of it. What I really want to talk about is when you look at Office 365, you look at Google Mail and Google Docs for the enterprise, which they actually do sell for small and large, medium and large businesses. They have Gmail for work for business is actually fairly large and, and fairly popular. Now you have WorkMail and you have WorkDocs. They changed Zocalo to be WorkDocs. Mm -hmm. You now have, in it, you also get a calendar and you get sharing, but the basis of all of these is a directory service. that Amazon introduced their directory service sometime in the last two years. That's Microsoft a good point. always had one. And without a directory service, you really can't do much of this easily, especially sharing. So now That's a good point. Have, and Google's always had a directory service. They basically are one big directory service. So, so let's look at each one individually. And let's look at one, the, each one individually. Let's particularly, let's look at Google. So the other thing, to just as a sidebar still as we're uh, orienting the conversation is um, – VMware bought Zimbra to offer um, customers a choice away from Microsoft Exchange, and I don't think that worked out uh, as well as they, everyone hoped. It, it, um, they ended up selling it after too long. Yahoo owns Zimbra also. And now what we see is customers not looking to maintain their own servers anymore. They don't run and run their mail servers in their private data center. We see a lot of companies move into these cloud-based uh, mail services, right? So that's that's the subject of the conversation is how, how secure are these cloud-based mail services and how do they compare, right? And what do you have to do as a tenant of these cloud-based services to make them even more secure? Or better yet, it's not about when it comes to stuff like this, it really ends up being not again about making something ultimately secure but meeting whatever your security policy is. I've well, actually had a things? lot of conversations with people where they come up and, and specifically there's been a large number of conversations about people saying, oh, I need to be compliant with this and secure to this yeah. and hardened to this. And it's like, okay, step back a second. Right. What does your security policy say? Start exactly. There. So you mentioned <laughs> encryption. We talked about directory services, so that makes me think about passwords and authentication. The other one is data retention. A lot of companies have uh, very strict data retention policies, right? Absolutely. And not only that, they have to be able to gain access to them for lawyers. So you actually have the need to actually be able to siphon off that for whatever legal case they're currently working on. So you actually have search capability that's absolutely implied by using email and sharing documents in the enterprise. So you got all these requirements for all these items. And you know, some of these companies, some of these tools provide that capability, others do not. Some provide do other things. And one of the things that one I mean think let's think about Google. If I'm using my standard Google email, not my Google for work business, but my standard Google email, Google reserves the right to farm my email so that they can prevent present ads to me. So they're they tell you when you agree to a Google account that they're gonna read your emails and, and give you targeted ads, right? That's how they make money on their free service. Exactly. Yeah, and the business one account. does and I believe the business one does the same thing. No, no, no. Oh, not positive. I had a business account at Catbird, and it does not. Okay, so it does not. Good. Do they encrypt it up there? You're the one that had one, so I did not. Uh, Do they encrypt the email? I think at the time I was doing this at Catbird, they had not switched over to SSL for everything. That's actually fairly you know, recent and since I joined uh, TitleScale that they made that switch. I, and I don't know if they make any... for communication over the network is one thing. I'm talking about encryption yeah. at rest. Right. I'm trying to answer your question. So I, I, I believe they've got SSL uh, for in transit, but I have not read a similar claim for encrypting at rest that we see for the uh, Amazon product. Okay. Uh, so they could still farm it if they wanted to. 
or anybody well, could certainly a, for if they wanted if, to if, for whatever if, reason. But bear in mind, they're the king of search. So they actually, as a feature to their both, you know, free and business email users, they have, you know, good searching of your email, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so that's, you, you know, yeah, it's not encrypted, and yeah, they could still encrypt it and give you that feature. I, You know, it's it's a six-of-one situation, right? I mean, you've got a great feature in their search, and probably doing good encryption at rest would kind of make that flaky, but I don't know. I'm, I don't want to get into that part of it. I think what I found interesting was that um, unlike some recent offerings we've seen in commercial vendors, the Amazon offering of encryption does not protect you from Amazon or Amazon acting as an agent for someone else. Right. They're they're giving you an account on their key server. Correct. As I, However, as I read. you own the keys. So if you're putting uh, your stuff no, on their no. key server, they can the, still get the, the keys. The key is on their key server, so you don't really own you You may, quote-unquote, own your key and be able to be the only person to manage it. Of you know, no other tenant can see it or touch it. But at the end of the day, Amazon owns the server it's running on, so all bets are off, right? And there's <laughs> nothing more than a SafeNet key server, a key manager anyway, HSM anyway. So right, right, right. That was my point. And when we uh, started discussing this over emails, is my quick review of it seemed to be that uh, their service is conveniently designed for uh, national security letters and subpoenas and things like that. And as a third party, they're under no requirement to notify you. Right. And actually, I mean, that, that, so is Google's service design for that. And to be honest, so is Office 365. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're all designed around the need to be able to meet national security requirements. So the question then becomes, are they, do any of these services provide you privacy from the federal government? Let's say. Only Apple. And, only Apple? Explain. Uh, Apple with iOS 8 um, <clears throat> was not shy about making the claims that even they cannot decrypt your content. Is, isn't that the case that um, some agencies have prohibited uh, Apple iOS devices because they can't be snooped on? I would not be surprised by that. I would totally not be surprised by that. Okay, but Apple is not going to provide business email. It can be used for that if you wanted to, but it doesn't really provide it. Yeah, they're not in the enterprise service. space. You, you get your iCloud account or something. You can't really be managed that I know of. I don't think it can be managed for an enterprise. Uh, there yeah, are I ways, don't. but it's more yeah. difficult. Well, they don't have like an admin portal for companies to you know, change a user's password or set up new users. Things like that. Or, or, or remote, wipe, you know, remote wipe a lost device. I mean, as a user, you have that as yeah, it's all personal. It's a consumer-facing. So, yeah. Mike, uh, at the beginning of the call, we we focused the conversation around uh, enterprise clients um, and not consumer mom and pop. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, the enterprise uh, is not aware a, of anybody who uh, who does this. But if I was a small business, and let's say let's let's give that a number of employees, let's say less than ten, I could actually use iCloud for family. And yeah. I would manage it as the the head of the family would manage the iCloud. So for a really yeah. long business, you could use it and get the safety that you're talking about. Anything bigger than that, not going to happen. <laughs> but that only that safety we're talking about is really a, an endpoint safety. So we have to separate the endpoint from the cloud. Uh, if you were that yeah, but small you still business, need an email, you still need an email service. Exactly. So I guess what I'm saying is the the controls around the the server side of the data, you know, being able to log in and do things like all of these services have data retention policies. The enterprise services have some things in common. They have um, filtering that they can actually do keyword searches so you don't send out sensitive information. So Google offers Postini, for example. And I'm not sure about the new Amazon offering, but they all offer add-on services to uh, filter your mail, control it, and data retention to capture copies of all the email. I don't know how you do that with a small business service like Apple. 
like iCloud. No, you would not be able to. Absolutely not. And yeah, it sounds like the Amazon pro, um, system will also allow you that ability to do some sort of DLP-ish type thing. But again, details are kind of only what's on, on that a couple of pages on their site. Yeah, and the screenshots, right? I mean, I think uh, yeah. the other thing I'm curious about, just as a user, um, the full disclosure, you know, title scale is a Rackspace customer. Oh, that's right. Rackspace has an enterprise email system. Yeah, and it's good. I mean, it's uh, it works. It's reliable. Um, but the, it's certainly now in danger. I think um, that's a, that's maybe we, if we want to talk about the business side of this as well. Um, and the thing I noticed, I mean, we're heavy users of distribution lists and things like that. And uh, calendaring is its own nightmare, you know, getting that to work right. So it would be interesting to see how well uh, – wow, we lost uh, Ed. Uh, it will be interesting to see how well it holds up under actual use. Yeah, we also uh, talked about Zimbra. Do you know anybody that set up Zimbra? We had a whole business around um, this Zimbra hosting and managed services, and it was tied into Active Directory. But um, looks like VMware, I don't know what the reason was behind selling it off, but they, they bought it from Yahoo and had it for a few years, and now it's gone. Yeah, we had, uh, again, this was at Capri, we had Zimbra, and uh, we uh, the, we switched to Gmail from Zimbra for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And I have no idea what the current state of Zimbra oh, is. But you're right. Zimbra was a perfectly functional, you know, exchange server replacement. Cost is usually uh, one of no, the main Zimbra concerns. Was actually, with... Zimbra was difficult to set up. Yeah, it was. But a little so bit challenging. Was, so... So is Exchange if you want to do it securely. So there's all sorts Absolutely. of caveats there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Amazon got it right. I mean, email is one of these ubiquitous things every enterprise is still living on, right, despite Facebook and Twitter. And um, they've made it really simple for small companies to have an effective email server. I think it's going to, it's going to win in the marketplace. I think it will. Uh, so is it going to come down to... Is it going to come down to the lowest the the service that offers the lowest cost per mailbox is going to win in the end? Actually, that is I don't think so. I don't think so, and let me explain why. As phishing attempts and all sorts of all sorts of spam mail start to come in, if you're running your own email server, which start there, it's extremely hard to keep up with that. So you either go and buy a Barracuda via a Barracuda or you buy some sort of front end to your mail server that does all that filtering for you based on their rules, or you use somebody else to do that filtering. For example, you could actually use Google for work and Microsoft Office to front end all that as well as now Workplace to front end all of the email filtering that has to happen to keep spam and phishing and spear phishing attacks from getting into your your workers. But that's a good point. That really doesn't make a difference. So whoever does that the best may end up winning in the one and winning in the in the end, regardless of cost. Well, I think you're wrong about that, Edward, because people tend to go with the low price. I mean, but your point yeah, is low price I'm not until there's point. a I think low price but, until there's a problem, and once there's a problem, they'll switch. Maybe, maybe. Well, and they're going for a big name. So Amazon's definitely a big name. You know, Microsoft and Google have made names for themselves. We have, I have entire city governments that have moved their mail over to uh, to Google Mail and Google Apps. So there's trusted. They have good references. They you, you can't really go wrong. I think you used to say you couldn't go wrong buying Cisco, right? And now you have three or four choices for a big mail hosted mail service providers. You can't go wrong with those, can you? And not not only not only that, but with the the number of people that are using AWS and the uh, and and for those folks that are using it at a corporate level, 
uh, for, for cloud services, adding on email to a, uh, to a purchase order that's already been cleared with Amazon and finance is going to be a pretty easy sell. You know, if you already have the business relationship with AWS, them coming around and say, "Hey, what do you say we add some? We add workmail. We'll take we'll take care of everything. Move everything over, and you don't have to worry about doing your email anymore." You've already had that business relationship. Why not? True. Yeah. Why not? Uh, I think the questions will be how how well it scales. I mean, we know they scale wonderfully. In, in many ways, but scaling to, you know, the 50,000 enterprise user mailbox, I guess my question would be, is, it, is Amazon eating their dog food? Did they? I didn't notice that. That was the other thing that I thought interesting. I didn't run across a reference to, and we rolled this up to ourselves first. I didn't see any of that. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, I have a feeling they are just because – I bet that's what they're do. they do their own mail anyways. I mean, stand, I mean, think about what's happening. Let's look at the attack vectors for Amazon. I bet someone trying to do a spear phishing attack against an admin inside of Amazon is probably pretty prevalent. And you still have to be able to detect that across all the mailboxes and whatever attachments there are. And prevent it because while you may get some spam leaking through even the best of these, you really don't want a spear phishing attack leaking through. Right? Especially for somebody a company like Amazon. Just be real about that. And Google's the same way. I'm sure Microsoft Azure is the same way too. We know they're on office. So they are eating their own dog food. It's interesting how these cloud platforms has converged. You had um, Microsoft had Office 365 before Azure. Is, is that right or is that wrong? They had Office 360. No, they didn't. Office 365 was built on Azure. Azure was built to probably okay. run it. And now Amazon's coming out a few years later and, and offering a mail service. And they arguably are, are the number one infrastructure cloud provider, public cloud provider for infrastructure as a service. So they seems like a, a, just a great fit for them to be able to offer this at a low cost, a, a really good value. And they have, you know, stable cloud platform. They know how to run the network. They can take a big, big share from the other cloud providers and from the existing installed base of Exchange users, right? Yeah, that's got to be the big worry for Microsoft. I mean, that's from that perspective, I would say, yeah, we'd have to worry about that. Maybe look at the business side of this. But I'm still concerned. Yeah, I, don't, I, mean, I mean, Michael, you made a good point on, on the chat, is that running inbound attack detection across millions of mailboxes wins, and that's, that's huge. That's why Google can do such a good job at that. But then they also, what's really funny about theirs, what's really interesting, not funny, but interesting, if you look at Google Webmaster Tools, which just doesn't exist inside of Amazon yet, they'll actually go and look at your site and see if it has any malware on it. And if it doesn't, that will actually translate to what you can and cannot send from your site's email. So they actually go a step further. And that's actually that's a big deal because most site administrators can't detect when they um, – and uh, the term we used to use was farmed, right? Exactly. Yeah. So they'll prevent you from sending ma certain mails or mail at all because of that. And they'll put you on so on um, blacklists because of do that, which is, I found very interesting. So the, the security around emails working. And we, do we all agree that Microsoft, Google, and, and Amazon could probably do all that very well? I don't think they can do it at scale. And probably better than the moms and pops and just about anybody else out there. 
Oh yeah, I mean having having run my own email server for a couple of years uh, on the end of a DSL line, um, it was just too much of a pain in the butt. It really was. Oh yeah. Oh, it's painful. Especially so when about... to battle spam. Yeah, nobody wants to run their mail servers anymore. And that's the thing, you know, you're, you're, move, you're going to move, you will eventually move your mail to a hosted cloud provider. The question is, if you're an exchange shop and you want to move to Office, seems like a no-brainer. But now Amazon and, and Google before had sort of um, pretty good competing solutions. What about well, you data know sovereignty? Win, you, know who wins, you know who wins out of all of this, regardless of what vendor you choose? Microsoft, because Microsoft is, is ma Microsoft is making money because both Amazon and Google use a, uh, license ActiveSync. Oh, right. Right. that uh, Rex right? uh, it's three. You get a. I mean, it's pretty cheap, but you basically pay an Outlook license if you're an Outlook client. It's three bucks a user at Rackspace. Yeah. So think about all those so, clients too. You know. Microsoft can continue to sell stuff and still make money off what they sell directly, but they're also making money off of every every mailbox on all those other platforms. Is it three dollars per user a year or a month to get Outlook? I uh, I'll have to check. I knew that <laughs> question was going to come. <laughs> I was going to ask about data sovereignties. Each of these companies has data centers in different parts of the world. I wonder if you can choose where your mail is stored when you go to one of these hosting I, providers. I believe, I believe in the Amazon announcement they said you could. Yeah, Ireland that or actually is, Virginia. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Now if I have – go on, go on, Michael. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. Amazon said you can choose Ireland or Virginia. Right, so Ireland is their EU sovereign data center, obviously. And I believe they, I believe they said they will be adding more uh, data centers over over time, so that you'll be able to, you know, do the the, the traditional France versus Switzerland. Type so of Google website. has a statement on their website. I'm looking at their security policy. Um, how do I know if uh, my mail will be compliant with the European Commission directive on data protection if I use Google Apps? And Google says it's up to your organization to decide if, if you're compliant with any regulations or not. <laughs> OMG. Okay, well, that tells you that, right? <laughs> Which is probably why we don't, I, I'm guessing we don't see a lot of international uh, customers using Gmail. It's more of a, a domestic U.S. thing. Well, it's certainly not international enterprise. I'm sure Gmail is an enormous Yeah, yeah, just like that's us. That's what I meant, yeah. Yep. And, but being able to choose where I put my mail in documents meets a compliance checkbox that, yes, it's in the U.S., yes, it's in the EU, or wherever it needs to be. And that's actually a big deal, I think. So that I think for work mail, that gives it a... a a nice little, I know I can do that. I meet that compliance or security policy setting that I have to have, where if I was using Google or Microsoft, I have no idea. Right? So that's actually goodness. Yeah, that reflects... Um the fact that with uh, simple storage and other technologies, Amazon has already had to deal with this issue. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's revealing about the current situation and why they have to say, and we're adding data centers soon, is if you want data center failover, re you know, region resiliency, you need a second data center in uh, UE sovereignty. So, um, EU, excuse me. Yep. Absolutely. I'd like to welcome Sam Johnson to the call. He just joined us. Hi, Sam. Hey, guys. How are you going? Fine. We're just going through all the three big players in the um, mail document arena. You know, you, now we have Amazon's work mail. We were looking at Google, and we're also talking about Azure and Office 365 yep. and how they all play together. And 
one of the things we were we've just been going through all the documentation is like you guys have already Amazon's already solved the EU versus US data storage problem. Now you have that with WorkMail, which is actually very good. And yeah, I'm start- actually quite excited by the idea of a of a back end only type mail service. You know, one of the things that I, I you know, I've been a, a Google Apps user for uh, before the thing was actually launched, and uh, I was looking at setting up, you know, potentially my own uh, my own environment. But I'll, I'll very likely move to the uh, the Amazon one to have a look as soon as they get that up and running. That's, I mean, I think that's actually a well-thought-out plan. Again, it's a case of I have to meet my policy, my compliance. This allows me to do that, at least for that level. Exactly. And then you have, the, you have the ability to set your own key, but as Mr. Foley brought up, Mike Foley brought up, who's also on the call, is that those keys are now stored inside of a key server inside Amazon where you guys own, well, I should say you guys, where Amazon owns the keys to the key server. They can get the key yeah. anytime they want. It's difficult to imagine how you would set up a system where it would work any differently, though. I mean, you obviously need to have the keys to be able to offer uh, standard protocols like IMAP and, and ActiveSync and so on. So that, that's not all that surprising. I mean, it's obviously not ideal. You can always use things like SMIME and PGP and so on over the top, though. So. But the other, the other thing I need to, we need to talk about when you look at all three of these, because the data we know the data is encrypted at Amazon, we don't know the data is encrypted at the other ones. So we may not actually have confidentiality. And that's actually a big deal. But if we can, how do we know with any of these that if we did provide our own keys, for example, that those keys weren't being used by the owner of the company, the, the organization itself, I wouldn't say the owner, but the organization itself to meet federal and or law enforcement requests without you knowing. Well, here's an important point for email, and that is that when you send an email to somebody, if you're addressing, for example, a um, you know a Gmail recipient, and you're you're sending it from an encrypted mail server, it's still going to end up uh, you know in that other mail server. Um, so perhaps that's a more generic question for compute workloads and storage workloads and things. But certainly in the case of email, um, you and one of the things that kept me from doing it myself was that you don't gain much by running your own uh, you know, encrypted mail storage because it's going to end up uh, going in and being stored in and potentially looked at by other mail servers as well. Well, it would ha- in order to do that, you'd have to have, be, have it encrypted all the way through. You can't just have it encrypted on storage. You'd actually have to have an encrypted payload or a message, then you would send it, and then you could decrypt it on the other side. I mean... I think that for our listeners, I think the most important thing you need to realize about email is that it's store and forward. You store it on a server, then you forward it to another server, and then it forwards to another one, and it forwards to another, and eventually it'll get to where it's supposed to go. So not only is it going to be on your original server and on the endpoint, it's going to be in all these places in between, and no one knows where all these places in between are. Right? So store and forward means that it could be anywhere. An email is one of those things that could be anywhere, unless you're mailing only with inside of your one server or with inside of a one organization, right? And it, it depends on your level of paranoia as well. I mean, even if you have a, an exchange server in your local data center, there's nothing to prevent a subpoena from a records you know, request. It, it involves a legal, legal case. You have to give it up, right? So, yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things of that is that there is, you know, typically a uh, you know, much more involved process in getting uh, a, a warrant. Uh, you know, we uh, talk about being like a self-storage facility at Equinix, where you, uh, you know, you, you put your servers in there. You may have logical access, but we only have physical access. So, if you want access to those servers, then you'll have to go through the, you know, the prevailing. Um, processes to get at those servers. Whereas, uh, you know, we've heard examples 
of national security letters being scrawled onto the you know the back of post-it notes, and that's assuming there's even a physical letter being served and not just an API call, um, you know, that's being uh, it's being um, an automated uh, data rec records request, exactly, <laughs> automated subpoena. Yeah. The guys in the black vans will just show up and take. Well, and even for a conventional law enforcement warrant, um, third party, it's, I think it's now well-founded in law that a third party provider uh, is under no obligation to notify the customer that a warrant has been executed on their data. In um, some cases, they're, pre they're prevented from doing that. Well, in the NSL case, they absolutely are. Yeah. I'm saying even in a conventional warrant, you know, if, if uh, you know, Virginia law enforcement serves a subpoena, you know, the local cops, you, you know, Amazon doesn't have to uh, notify you. Yeah, and I think the and solution for this really is, is client, end-to-end client-side encryption, you know, be it storage with something like Spider Oak or be it, uh, you know, email using something like, like PGP, GPG, uh, yeah. time, uh be it messaging, like WhatsApp, Telegram, or any one of these other secure messages. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I actually brought up the point that, um, you know, Silent Circle got out of the email business, right? And these are the guys who know how to do it. And they were like, no, we're not going to. This is a can of worms we don't want to be part of. But it's not a can of worms from a technological perspective. It's a can of worms from a legal perspective, I think. Yeah, it's too dangerous to your business plan and operating a business. No, no, Amazon does say they're going to support S-MIMES. There you go. That's part of it, too. You know, that's pretty interesting. Well, uh, what, what, let's, think, think, uh, let's think about this one. Our, looking at all three companies, we can agree that they can probably do spam filtering and phishing filtering and, and all that stuff really, really well. We can also probably agree that Google hooking into your website to ensure that there's no viruses on it so that they can actually control from where the blacklist your site is on is also probably not a good not a bad thing either because you'll find out that you can't send mail and you'll fix it. And if you're paying attention to webmaster tools which you should, you're going to be able to fix it as well. But I mean and we've talked about the privacy issue of, you know, email is one of those things that's store and forward. It's going to be in some place somewhere in the clear. You just have to know where. But what about integrity? What about other forms of confidentiality instead of just pure privacy? Encryption at rest gives you part of that, but what about the rest of that? Encryption in motion, where it is, all that comes Well, you mentioned mind. it, right? S-MIME is a very good solution to that. Okay. And as far as I know, only WorkMail work is going to be the first one to support it unless does Office 365 support S-MIME? I think I it does, know. but I would have to confirm okay. that. Do you know if Google does? The Anybody? Amazon client certainly supports S-MIME, and, and of course you can use any client over, over IMAP and so on which supports S-MIME, and there are a number of plugins that that uh, will give you S-MIME support in, in Gmail, although unsupported. Uh, it's not built into to it as it would be, for example, for a Hushmail type service. Yeah, if it depends yeah, if you're talking you, using a web using interface or if you're talking you, about using an Outlook client, because it's really depend. S-MIME is a client thing, not a server thing. So it's going to depend on the client you use. So if you're doing Gmail and or Office 365 directly from the web server, directly on a web page, it may not actually give you that capability. Yeah, I know like for Office 365 or any uh, Exchange server with, um, if you're using Outlook Web Access, for example, you need a certain version of uh, Internet Explorer and it has an ActiveX plugin for S-MIME as an example. So if, okay. if you're now you're using Chrome to read your Office 365, you won't have access to that. And that is IE6, right? I <laughs> know. <laughs> Funny. I'm joking. <laughs> and um, Sam Johnson just put out a, a link that you can do 
encrypt messages by using SMIME and Outlook web apps. So if you guys are interested, go ahead and look that up on the support.office.com site to find that out, and that's very good information. So all of them provide almost everything we would need. So why isn't everybody using one of these? Well, I think well, that the, I, um, the user experience is the real problem here. I mean, it works for messaging just because it's it's very easy to establish a connection. I mean, Telegram, you just say, you know, start secret session. You have the option to verify the keys if you want. You want to do that with SMIME, you need a certificate. To get a certificate, you either have to have an enterprise PKI or you need to deal with, you know, you need to pay, which is always going to be a problem, uh, to get a level of verification that is often not required. Um, you can use a third-party service like a community CA like CA Cert, but then that may not be trusted by the people that you're dealing with. And then, of course, PGP, there's the whole web of trust idea, which is very strong, but you know, it's, it's difficult to manage even for groups like Debian. Uh, so I think it's really just a user experience thing. Well, actually, it wasn't about SMIME. More, I agree with you. It's a user experience thing with SMIME, but I was actually more thinking about not everybody uses a Google account, a Yahoo account, a Microsoft account, or even a Workmail account. They still, there's still a large number, large proportion of the enterprise that has their own mail servers still. Well, yeah. I think of the inertia there, right? I've got a big enterprise. <clears throat> I mean, if you look at Google's wins that they were trumpeting, maybe maybe they're just they gotten so used to converting large enterprises to Gmail that they don't bother mentioning it anymore, or maybe it's just not happening. And there's just an enormous amount of inertia. Uh, you look at any 10,000 plus company, it's not like they're deploying a new email service. This is where it's interesting to me. You know, Amazon has reached back to, you know, this is really a legacy app. It's, people have solved this. They've got their enterprise infrastructure working. It's really about, uh, maybe it's going to be about cost reduction, but I'm not even, you know, it's hard to imagine that enterprises actually view their email servers as something that's expensive to run. Where, where I see this winning immediately is with startups. Oh, yeah. Amazon is, you know, Amazon is a big player in the startup space. You know, speaking from Silicon Valley, uh, we are all Amazon customers. You know, every startup I know is using Amazon so for something. I, I got a similar, for financial uh, services companies, I know a lot of them are still running Exchange 2010. They haven't even upgraded to 2013 yet on their Exchange servers. And you would ask the same question, why haven't you upgraded? Well, they, they bought that hardware, you know, for this 2010 upgrade, probably in 2011 or so. And it still has a, a, a useful life around it. Remember when people buy servers for their data centers, they, they try to get that three to five year CapEx run rate out of it. So they're overbuying hardware. And they're just not ready to upgrade yet. They've planned the growth of their company. It's, a, it's not growing astronomically. You know, they know that today there are 1,000 employees. And in five years, they're probably going to be, you know, around the same. It's not going to be 2,000, right? If you're a fast-growing company, then, yeah, you've got to make decisions. Do I buy, do I invest in my legacy exchange environment, or do I go to the cloud? But there aren't that many of those giant, fast-growing companies out there. So it also begs the questions, like, if I'm in my data center or dealing with my um, environment, getting to my mail administration panels and so forth is not just in one spot. You know, I have to, I have to, I have to know where they are. I have to get to them. So they're hidden behind or they're in front, wherever they are. Now, when I look at Google, I look at Microsoft, and I look at Amazon, your portal entry point is your portal entry point for everything they're doing. So, and it becomes, all those become the major attack points where trying to directly attack an exchange server is extremely difficult unless the exchange server happens to be sitting out on the internet. But now I have all my eggs inside of one portal. So, and we all knew what happened to several companies that their portal in Amazon got hacked because of bad passwording and bad authentication practices. But it still happened and the companies were wiped out. Would that actually happen for work mail as well or are they kept separate in some fashion? 
Or is there a way to keep them separate? So you don't have all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Yeah, from a user experience, it's probably undesirable to separate them. I would agree. It's undesirable, but it may be, there's got to be something more there than just saying, yeah, you have to follow good ANA, and that means two-factor authentication, but not everybody's smart enough to do that. Yeah, or I, they don't I think want to the, do it. Um, you know, using AWS and their uh, IAM services and so on, uh, you you can do things like directory sync. Uh, it integrates directly with, with Active Directory. Uh, it is a lot easier to deploy you know, two-factor with a service like Google at Work or, or Amazon or, or Office 365. Uh, typically, it can be quite complicated to do that. So why do we say that it's, you know, it's, it may be beyond some people, it's, it's a lot easier than what it is to do it on-premise. And I think that the... Uh, you know, th th there is a fair amount of separation of duties and so on. You can have different administrators having access to different services. You could even potentially use different Amazon accounts for different things. For example, have you compute in one account and you mail in another. Uh, so I think there is a fair amount of flexibility, but it does come back to that question of having this, you know, single pane of glass interface uh, that's, that's accessible from the internet. That al already is, uh, is too much for some people to bear. Well, is there a way, for example, in WorkMail or any of these to say, to, to basically push a button and automatically get two-factor auth with everything properly set up for you? I mean, this is, I mean, two two, setting up two-factor on, on your endpoint and in your server is not, it's not usually a non-trivial task. And that's, a, that's key. It's not easy. So if it's not easy, people are not willing really to do it, especially moms and pops and small businesses. Enterprises, I'll guarantee they're doing it. But the, the, the smaller ones, they may not because they don't, A, have the time to do it, and B, really don't even know how to manage it. Now, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm uh, thinking that that's not really the case, but I do know a lot of small businesses that two-factor off is far beyond them. Yeah, I think we're going to back into that, right? I mean, the trend I'm seeing um, is people combining uh, the fact that the, the ever-present smartphone technology and, in, you know, basically incorporating the smartphone into their authentication system. And that allows them to have the smartphone enable a second factor and technically, it, it's it's a methodology that will be a lot easier for everyone to use because it's being set up by Android or it's being set up by iOS, and you know people are just plugging it into their SAML model um, to make it happen. Uh, it's pretty early days, but I think there's a lot of promise because you know, better or worse, everyone's getting their smartphone. Okay, so use of your smartphone could be automated because, hey, just stick your phone number in here, we'll set it up for you automatically. Yeah, pretty much. And if you okay. combine that with a touch ID, you can even go all the way to a third factor. Well, here's the problem. If my, I'm using my smartphone to access my, to access my portal, and it is my second factor, someone gets it, accesses my portal using my password, it sends a message to the smartphone. Guess what? The smartphone's in the hands of the bad guy already. You know? No, 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 no. It's touch not ID a second factor. Come on, Come on yeah. Ed. Yeah. And first of all, touch ID is a third factor, right? You'd have to somehow get the smartphone to lie about the successful touch ID. Well, you would need touch ID in that situation. If you're, if that, if you're, if that, I mean, let's say that everybody's iPhone. I mean, there are people out there that just steal iPhones. That's all they do. Oh, absolutely. Because it's a huge problem in Mountain View. They actually walk around with uh, uh, Bluetooth and uh, Wi-Fi detection equipment to pick up your iPhone broadcasting in your car, right? And that way they only break into cars that have iPhones in them. I mean, it's, it's probably not just iPhones, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, be aware of that, Mike. Sam, is that prevalent? Is that put, prevalent put everything in, in the airport mode before you lock it in the trunk. You know, take it with you, exactly. Yeah. Hey, Sam, is that prevalent so, in Europe? I mean, I've uh, you know, I've I've written about uh, a, a number of times. I've been um, 
I've been attacked for my or, or robbed for my iPhone. Uh, and it, I think it was just because of the value, the combination of the value and the transferability of the devices. I think iOS 8 uh, actually addresses a lot of that uh, with the latest versions of Find My iPhone. You need to you know, have the account to be able to reactivate it. Uh, and uh, the other thing I would add to that is that is that third party, you know, most people use Google Authenticator for the uh, for the OTPs, but there are tools like Authy, and I've just seen here that Authy actually does support Touch ID. So even if you had the device, and even if you could log into the device, you couldn't necessarily get into to get a code out of Authy. So I think that that's a valid you know, third factor there. You've got biometrics, you've got something you have, you've got something you know. So that's AuthP. AuthP. A U T H Y. AuthP. Authy, yeah. It's it's an open source authentication solution, right? It's not open source, I think it's a uh it's a service, it's a it's a startup that does you know, you can have one Authy uh okay. app which does, you know, use it for Microsoft yeah, so, Google and Amazon. Yeah, one of the one of the things it can do is it can store say all your uh you would use it in in place of the Google Authenticator, and you would um, add your your Google keys to it, and then it will back those up to a server somewhere, so that if your phone is stolen or trashed or what have you, and you need to restore the app, you restore the app and say, okay, restore all my keys, and off you go. That's actually pretty cool. And if it's tied to Touch ID, if I actually could use it to say, hey, this is where you want to send my message. I, in order to unlock that message, I need my touch ID so that I can yep. get the key that I, token I need to put in. Then my concern about, you know, sending the tokens to the same device that's actually accessing the portal goes out. It's, it's no longer a problem. But you've got to make that – you've got to go to that step. If you want to make it really secure, if you're going to be using your iPad or your iPhone or your tablet to access portals – that you're going to manage your system with, you need to make sure you have all these factors in play. Otherwise, you're going to end up, if someone steals it, they have access to it, and they're going to get a text with the This sounds like a whole it. other podcast. It is. We, we it's still an interesting field. story. I think, it's time to, I think it's time to revisit two-factor auth on the podcast. Not only that, well, let's, get, uh, let's do that with um, Apple Pay, because I'm pretty impressed by that. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do, let's hit that one up on the next one. But um, Sam, what do you what, what do you what can you tell us about Workmail? I mean, your thoughts on it? Uh, I mean, I I think it's it it sounds like a great idea. I mean, I've only read what you guys have read. I've just learned about it very recently. But I think the idea of having a a uh, you know essentially a web service which happens to be mail. Is a great idea. You, you know, you don't have to consume the Gmail interface with it. You don't have to then consume Google Plus. And granted, they give you a fair bit of control over what you can turn on and off. But similarly, you know, when you're in the Office, the Office 365 ecosystem, you've got, you know, it's a lot more tied to OWA and Outlook and so on. Uh, with this, I think it is a, you know, genuinely cross-platform mail solution, similar to if you're running your own, uh, your own Unix-based mail server. Uh, so you can have Outlook clients, you can have uh, uh, mobile clients and devices and so on. You can have legacy clients, uh, Unix, Linux, whatever you want, talking to this service. So in that sense, I think it's quite clever. I think that Amazon, it's you know, it's, it's technology of running a mail server isn't really what, differenti what differentiates Amazon. What differentiates them is their, uh, is, is their operations capabilities and their ability to scale and deliver a global service and so on. So... I think it's quite an interesting service. It'll be interesting to see how much uptake it gets. Uh, so it's I've, I've, in worlds like the Carlos, the work, work, work Files now, I think it's called, and their VDI solution as well. So. I've got a, a, a question for everyone. Um, I mean, we all know Exchange was built within, within Microsoft, um, and Google Mail is very much a Google-built thing. Um, do you think that Amazon started from the ground up or that they started from probably an unknown two-factor, I mean, a, a known open source um, solution for their solution? You mean like something like PostFix or SendMail? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's non-trivial 
to build a multi-enterprise scale email solution. That takes that today. That takes a a lot of engineers and a lot of money to build something that scales that big. I don't know. Yeah, so I think, I think having, it depends on how they do the scaling. I mean, one way would be to, for example, for WorkMail, deploy a PostFix server for each company or PostFix servers for each company and tie it to Dovecot, which is easy to tie into a directory service and so forth. So I don't know. I think that's an important question because uh, we see vulnerabilities come out in products all the time, so it'd be important to know what they're using under the hood. Yeah, we'll probably hear that in a follow-up. I mean, sorry, go on. Sorry, go ahead. I suggest that they do a combination here. So they use some third-party software. Uh, for you know, for example, for SMTP relays, you don't you know gain a lot by writing that stuff yourself. Uh, one of the biggest challenges, and you know, knowing that I worked on the server and storage platform at, at Google, including Gmail, uh, is you know one of the big things we were doing at the time was moving from one storage uh, platform to another, one storage backend to another. That stuff is really complicated. It's really difficult to do well, and uh, I think that you know that's one of the biggest challenges for scaling a mail solution. And the, the, the reason that, you know, at the time, Hotmail had a two megabyte limit and Google went for a thousand megabyte limit was because they got it, they, they, they'd worked it out. Similarly, Amazon have worked it out. So you might find that, for example, they use one of those solutions like Dovecot, but they back it onto a, uh, you know, their own storage infrastructure. I think that's the most likely explanation. Yeah, it seems likely. I mean, a good, a good programmer steals every chance they get. So, you know, with respect to their, I mean, Amazon has not invented here culture, but no one would start from scratch. There's very good solutions out there to start from, and I think, as you said, you're right. They probably, you know, took out the the bottom end of storage and used their APIs for that, and they've, you know, they've replaced the top end configuration in terms of using their GUI. But somewhere in the middle, I'm sure, are the you know tools that most of us would recognize. Like for example, there's, I mean, if you want IMAP and DHCP and so forth, when I mean, you want IMAP and so forth, and IMAPS, Dovecot does a really good job, and you can plug in the back end of it, and you can plug in the front end of it with whatever you want. Postfix does a great job in tying that into a directory service and or into a set of databases, and that actually those two talk to each other really, really well. So I don't see where they would have started from scratch. I just can't see that either. And I don't think Google started from scratch either, to be honest. I mean, SMTP has been around for ages. and Oh, internally in their data centers? Of course not. Of course yeah. not. The GUI now, the front UI, end, they did from scratch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the UI completely different. That's presenting to the customer. That probably has to be done from scratch, and that's what takes the developers. But the rest of it, I'm not so sure. Not if you, st you stick with standards. You know, Hotmail for the longest time used Qmail, which was Dan Bernstein's uh, Unix-based mail server. Oh no, that was lovely. Mm -hmm. You could actually Hotmail. you could actually find Unix prompts inside Microsoft because of that. I always enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Little Easter eggs, right? So. Last thoughts. I mean, do we do we cover? I mean, do these solutions from Microsoft, Google, and Amazon provide the privacy, the integrity, the confidentiality that businesses require? Mr. Berman, why don't you go first? Uh, I think, as, as always, I think Amazon has probably hit the mark for good enough for many, and they don't care about the. Uh, the paranoid at the top or at the bottom, depending on how you look at it. They're they're just trying to hit the mid market. And I I would argue this may not even be a large enterprise play. This is probably a pure uh to begin with uh new company S and B play and the enterprises will adopt in the usual cycle if at all. I mean, as we were saying earlier, you know, they've already got this solved. I'm not sure the attraction of outsourcing it. Okay. Um, Mike, let's get the mics out first. Mike? Um, 
repeat the question again? Uh, last thoughts, given that we're talking about no. privacy, integrity, confidentiality, these three services. Um, it's it's interesting to see the adoption rate, and I think you'll see the adoption rate of folks using cloud email services um, start to really accelerate over the course of the next 18 to 24 months. And I think uh, running your own email server uh, within a an enterprise or even within a uh, definitely within a small business but if within an enterprise will be the exception not the rule and um, uh, it I certainly think that Amazon has the infrastructure to support this um, it'll be interesting just how 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 it compares against Google's offerings and Microsoft's offerings, because Microsoft and Google are ahead of them on the docs side and the collaboration side, and those will be things that will need to probably come out of Amazon at some point. Okay. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I I don't think that there's going to be many companies who are going to be able to differentiate themselves on how they run their email. There may be companies that think they can, but they're not going to be able to. In the same way that you don't differentiate yourself by generating power, I mean, there were some companies that did that, Eastman Kodak being a good example. Um, but you just don't don't differentiate yourself. And I think that they'll you know, a lot of them will look at it practically you know, after all of the all of the fud of the last couple of years and so on and say, look, in reality, you know, these guys have got many times more security people than I do and, and much more capability than, than I do because I'm in the business of making widgets. Granted, they're a, you know, they're a much bigger target. Um, but I think we'll also see, you know, some specific requirements for certain industries. So, you know, this afternoon I was at, in, the, uh, in the proximity section of uh, one of our economic data centers here, which is home to the Swiss internet, uh, Swiss uh, exchanges, and so on. And you can see the different customers have different policies, and it's reflected by, you know, some of them have floor to ceiling cages, some of them have opaque cages, some of them have biometrics, cameras, and you know, they build their own policy, they build their own, uh, you know, their own solution depending on what they require, what they internally require, or what is required of them by the regulators and by the market, and that kind of thing as well. So you can always do both, and you can do a hybrid of all of this stuff as well. You can have one of the things in rolling out Google Apps, uh, you know, 2006-2007 at large enterprises in France. There was very few of them who'd say, "Yeah, we're just going to use this for everyone from day one." A lot of them would say, "All right, we're going to use this for the enterprise, for the executives, and we're going to, you know, keep the existing solution for the blue-collar workers, or vice versa. They might, you know, stick to the uh, to exchange for the execs and then roll out." Know, a scale-out solution for the, for the blue-collar guys and so on. So there's a lot of flexibility there as well, and all this stuff can be seamlessly integrated. Uh, you know, the, the services have uh, the ability to, for example, pick out uh, mailboxes that are hosted by them and then pass everything through to the existing legacy internal services, which makes, you know, makes it a lot easier to migrate to them. So you know, it's just a case of using the right tool for the job. I would agree with that, but I'm, I'm, and before it even t does the last, the final last word, I'm going to give mine in, and that is, is I actually do run my own mail server, and I, I've been doing it, for, I've been running one for years. It's just one of those things. I know how to do it. I do it. But as the amount of spam and the amount of attacks come in, you have to, you have to keep on top of it or find a solution that will keep on top of it. So I gotta wonder how this announcement from Amazon is going to impact companies like Barracuda and their mail, mail firewalls and everybody else's that does that. And going, will they integrate with that in some fashion, which is one way to approach to it, or will they just be at a loss? That's an interesting question. Um, I also wonder how your policy, your own security policy and email policy and retention policies for legal, legal and everything fits in with all these three products. I don't see it fitting in very easily with any of them, but I can see it fitting in if you make use of the right facilities within each one. So it's, those are questions that are outstanding that I have. And I, 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 it's going to boil down to what's your security policy and can you do this? 
and do you get the answers you need, or can you change your policy to allow you to use this? To use something like WorkMail or Google Mail and or Office 365. Even what's yours? Well, I think the most paranoid uh, security conscious customers are still going to run their own mail servers in-house, even if it's extra cost and not as reliable. Um, but more and more as you uh, accept that a cloud provider can offer you acceptable security, then if you're using Exchange, I think they're just going to continue to go to Office 365. That seems like a no-brainer migration path. Uh, they, Microsoft makes it very easy to move, and there's a huge ecosystem of partners that can help you migrate your mail with all sorts of tools to um, reduce the load on your IT staff. So as far as Amazon's new WorkMail service goes, if you're a new company and you're trying to decide what to move to, or you're a smaller company and you don't have a thousand mailboxes to migrate, yeah, I, I, got, I see a lot of uh, these newer customers and smaller businesses moving to Amazon. If you're already an Amazon customer, for sure, it's, it's a no-brainer. You already trust Amazon with your cloud security of your infrastructure and many of your other application services. Why not put your email out there too? Uh, so I see that as being a big win. It's going to get a lot of traction real fast. All right. Well, there you have it. We looked at all three, and we've gotten some suggestions and some tools that you could possibly use to make them more secure. I'd like to thank Sam for hopping on and, and giving us a drive-by on here, and everybody else for joining us. This has been the 148th Virtualization and Cloud Security Roundtable. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>